acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Witches Anonymous with Ilaria Baldwin and Michelle Campbell-Mason, an iHeartRadio podcast. Hey, witches. Welcome back. I'm Ilaria. And I'm Michelle. Today, we are very pleased to have such an impressive guest. She is the chair of the Human Rights Campaign Foundation Board. She is a globally renowned activist, speaker. She's a fantastic writer. She focuses on gender politics and identity. She has really changed a lot of people's lives with being such an accessible and concise speaker in these realms. And she's also had a huge career in the beauty space, co-owns Joe's Pub at the Public Theater, Today, we have none other than Jody Patterson. So we're so I'm so excited for the two of you guys to meet, you know, and I've had the pleasure of spending time with you, Jody, before. I mean, you're a mom, you're an author, you're an activist, you're an entrepreneur. You do so many things. You wear so many different hats and you do it so beautifully and inspiring. The way I described you was just you're a force. You have this amazing energy of like, I want to do what you are doing and sign on to all of the amazing things that you're doing. How, where do you source all of your energy from? That's a good question because, you know, depending on the day, I'm feeling more or less depleted, but I do have a method for energy. And I think my primary thing is gather the women. I do that. I've been doing that for years, for decades, gather the women. Sometimes it looks like I have this mural of women on my wall and it's about 50 pictures tacked up on my wall of 50 different women. Some of them I know well, some of them I don't know, like Billie Holiday or Nina Simone. And some of them I know very well, like um, Claire Vivier or Beth Ann Hardison. And these are women that I really admire for something. And so every day I spend time with these women. I look at their pictures. I see how they stand. I see their posture look in the eyes and then I imitate them. Literally, I, I don't walk out into the world as like just Jody. I, I, I always try to imitate and embody and practice in the spirit of these women that I admire. 
So that's a lot of my energy. A lot of my energy is not a singular woman energy. It's like collective women energy. And I do that every day. I've been doing that for decades, like spending time with the women on my wall. And then I also gather the women in real life. Like I have a team of aunties that um, are some of them biologically related and some of them are not. And they have uh, agency over my in my life, in my children's lives. They actually call some of the shots. They support me. They help me. They answer questions and problem solve. Um, and I've never been afraid to get that female energy um, on a daily is basis. That, is that something you grew up with? I think so. I mean, we're, we have a matriarchal family in many ways, some strong men, but definitely the women were buying property, buying houses, big careers, um, lots of children, heads of churches, heads of communities. So I grew up with a lot of strong women and um, I like women. I really like being around there. We're problem solvers. And so, yeah, I think I, my, I must have learned that from my mom to gather female energy. And the interesting thing is I found that that female energy comes in lots of different forms these days. It's not one way. That sounds, um, you know, like Oprah's kitchen cabinet that she always talks about, right? It's like your, your most trusted advisors and in essence, your family, right? Your family, your family of support. And that said, we both know so much about you. And, you know, I'm such a fan of your work with, you know, the human rights campaign and your writing. Um, could you tell us a little bit about your story, how you became a writer and, you know, so much of your work is based around your family and how that inspired you in that direction? Thank you for asking. My kids swear I'm an influencer. And I'm like, no, I'm a writer. <laughs> writer first. But that's a cool that's a cool thing. Yeah, just I now. When so. you're Yeah, that that is that that makes they they think that you're cool. They <laughs> do think that it's a cool thing to be an influencer. And I um I had an aversion to the to the title and to how it was playing out for so long. But when I think about it, and when I think about you know, what I do is partially because it motivates, because I love it, partially because it services my family and allows me to provide for them and partially because it moves the dial in terms of society. Influencer fits into that. <laughs> you know, it's like, so, but I, you know, what I really um, honor in myself is the writing. And I've always loved to write. I've always loved to read. I majored in literature at Spelman College. And um, my first job outside of when I graduated college was working in a publishing company. Um, and I was editing books like right out of college. Um, and then I realized that that was not enough money <laughs> to survive in New York and I didn't have a trust fund. And so I did a couple of other things in between. I worked in music and I worked in fashion. I worked in beauty. Um, but I circled back decades later to writing because it was, a, there was a compelling story that I was playing out in my own head, like how this woman <laughs> got to the place that she is now, where the reality now is like almost the upside down reality of where I was 30 years ago. And I was like, how did I get here where things are totally different from the way I was taught and totally different from the way I lived? And, and so I went back in um, memory and wrote a book about gender um, an identity through the lens of my family, my black American family. And so I wrote that book called, I wrote a book called The Bold World. And it's about my my journey as a person um, 
through gender and then raising a trans kid and then re-raising myself <laughs> as, a, as a liberated woman. Um, and then I wrote a children's book. And those two things were happening at the same time I was trying to find organizations and people also investigating gender and supporting diversity. And so the Human Rights Campaign is our largest uh, LGBT organization in the nation. And I just started knocking on their door, like, tell me more about what you know. You've got three million supporters. What are the needs? What are the concerns? I joined the board. I asked to be chair of the board, <laughs> became chair of the board. Um, it's just a, it's been an, an investigation of a world that I knew very little of. Um, and it's an important part of this human experience, the LGBT community. Talk, talk to us a little bit about your family. You have a, a bunch of kids, almost as many as I do. But I feel like last time we talked, you had more kids than I did. Um, so yeah, talk to us about your family. I am a mom of five. I'm a native New Yorker. So I raised my kids between Manhattan and Brooklyn. Um, but I have, and I have two dogs. I don't know if you can hear them in the background. <laughs> uh, I'm like a real like mama type of person. And, um, you know, I raised my children, I thought to be very open-minded and very verbal and very opinionated. And I found myself struggling with this one kid who wasn't doing anything, wasn't getting dressed, wasn't playing nicely, didn't want hairbrush, didn't want to be around mama, just didn't want much of the things that I thought that child should want and need. Um, and as year one, two, and three came around, that child became so disruptive. Like wouldn't get dressed, was always fighting, was always crying, nightmares, reoccurring nightmares, biting nails until bloody, just a real troubled kid. And I couldn't figure it out. I asked one day, what's wrong? And my child said, well, everyone thinks I'm a girl and I'm not, I'm, I'm a boy. And that was the start of this journey that I've been talking about, where I'm trying to understand gender from a different perspective. And that one kid then made me reevaluate how I was raising all the kids. So I have a very diverse family. I've been married twice. One child from one marriage to a Swiss man, three ch children from marriage to an African man, one adopted kid. It's just a big, robust family. Some of us are atheists. Some of us have strong faith. We speak multiple languages, Swiss German, English, Twi from Ghana, Latin. <laughs> when you drive a vehicle so reliable, it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty. You stop thinking about what you can't do start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, 
Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table, because geek culture is pop culture, and we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So what, one of the things that I, I mean, I've had the privilege of, of speaking with you before, and I learned a lot. You taught me a lot last time that we spoke. So one thing that you, you taught me was that gender's in the brain. Um, and so will you talk just a little bit about, uh, about that? Because so a lot of people, you know, even people who are kind of more liberal, they'd be like, but I don't get it because this is anatomy. Therefore that's gender. And, um, and and you spoke about it so beautifully last time. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and and the funny thing is, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a um, historian. I'm not a doctor. Um, and I get asked to speak on gender all the time. And I speak from a perspective of a mom. So I just put that out there like this is not something that I 100 percent understand scientifically but I've decided that I don't need to. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and I also say like, there are lots of things that I use in this world and interact with in this world and believe in that I don't understand the science behind aspirin. <laughs> like, I don't know how it works, but it works. My cell phone don't have a clue how I can speak into it. And then someone else get, but I believe in these things because they are tried and true. So with gender, some of it is just trust that my son is actually not abnormal. Right. So that's that. Don't know the science fully. But then there's this thing. I mean, I have studied some of it and gender is much more complex than we've ever thought growing up. And it's not just if you have a womb and a vagina, you are a girl. It's not just if you have testicles, you are a boy. The physical body does not determine how the brain does not necessarily determine how the brain identifies. So every person identifies at around three. The brain places you in the world. Who are you in this world? And my kid's brain said, boy. And the body looks looked at the time like a female body. Um, and that's not as abnormal as we think. I mean, a lot of times there's ambiguity between the body and the brain. And a lot of times there's even ambiguity in the body. Some bodies have multiple, have ambiguous um, characteristics. So. What I do know is that there's more reason to believe that my son is telling me who he is out of a need for me to support him, out of a need for me to 
push the world out of his way so he can just exist. Yeah. More so than he's playing games because <laughs> it's too mm -hmm. hard. It's too it's too hard. So I just know that the brain is an active thing in gender, an active participant in gender. And we've yet to discover all of the ways that the brain works. So I just trust when someone says, please see me as I see myself. It's the safer route, because when we insist that someone is not who they see themselves are as right. it invites suicide. In your TED Talk in 2017, which is very popular, um, I really think that the, the theme that is derived most from it really is about gender being a construct. And, you know, you you said very clearly Penelope is a boy with a vagina and it was such a beautiful way to state it. Like you just had your, you know, let's say it, let's put it yeah. out there. And I think that you had such a great analogy of colors not having constructs, but there's something we believe and it, like all these boxes and limitations that we use to a limit or be expand our perspectives. I'm sure that you have a much more broader, a much broader view since that period. But um, if there's anything you could say that you think is like the most important or helpful nugget to kind of opening up that perspective to others, what, what would that be to you? So much of what I've, the language that I used a decade ago or even five years ago is not the language I use now. So I very loosely and liberally spoke of my kid's body in public. I just don't do that anymore. Um, and I would not want them to discuss my body on a stage. At the time, I was so new and I was trying to speak to people who were also new to this. And I was very like crudely talking about the body being one thing and the brain and the identity being something different. And I wanted to jar people into to the to the moment that I was in. I wanted to bring them along quickly. And so I use really crude language, but I think um, the crux of it is that this idea of gender that we've, that I grew up with is, is not wide enough. Like gender being one of two choices. It's just not wide enough. There's nothing in nature that's one of two things. Like the way we describe the trees and the ocean and birds and there are multiple, there's like, a denseness to the language. But then humans, are you either boy or a girl? I just, this is such a random story, but I had a plumber in my house the other day and the plumber started talking about podcasts or things that he was listening to. And then he started talking about trans issues. And he said, you know, I just am really scared. This is a random plumber now. He said, I'm really scared and disgusted by doctors who are mutilating children's bodies. And I should have just kept my mouth shut, but I, I didn't. And I said, that's just not a thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's just not a yeah. thing. And there are doctors that are dealing with adults and young adults to alter their bodies. And it's happening. It's more prevalent with cisgender people. Period. Cisgender people have more reaffirming surgeries. I'm more concerned with what the Kardashians are setting as an example like five women, more so than the millions of trans people. Like, I think that if we look at the disparity or the unfair situation, trans people are doing, um, are having surgeries on their bodies and cisgender people are having surgeries on their bodies. Cis people like you and I are doing more reaffirming surgeries. 
We're making our breasts fit our presentation. We're making our hips and our butt look the way we want to present ourselves as feminine beings. Um, our jaw lines, our lips, our noses, our la- I mean, these are all things. These are gender reaffirming changes so that we can present the way we feel our femininity or masculinity should look. And no one's bothered by that. That is such a mind blowing point. <laughs> Every single time I talk to you, I have this like nugget. I'm like, oh my God, you're so right. But there's something really it's- interesting about watching these transformations through social media that people like don't really talk about. And then you scroll down. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, it's a glow up. What, you got a facial? Like, let's talk about it. And we're and sort like, of policing some folks and saying, you're not allowed to do anything. Right. And then the other folks are doing everything. And it's like you said, a glow up or a come up or a beautification or a sign of stat- social status to be able to spend money on enhancing the way you feel inside outside right. right and so and this is the same thing with puberty blockers like precocious puberty is has been a thing for generations young girls who get their puberty early they've been put on puberty blockers mm. and no one no one had a problem with it and now trans children are using it trans young people are using it and it's seemed it's deemed as inappropriate and dangerous so it's just there's this um imbalance of the way the world believes everyone is cis and we think of it think of the world through our own eyes as cisgender and it's just not a thing well and that like conflict between being being a a woman who identifies as such and is doing all those things and being a feminist and how there's so much pushback too that you can't be both right the duality can't exist and then then that's one more limitation that we're dealing with yet you know we've got all these pop culture examples that that allow for that so um going going towards pop culture with this i I did want to ask you your take on how the trans community is perceived in pop culture. Um, obviously, you we've all seen and heard of the show Pose, ballroom culture, how we really like ex- that expanded the conversation into ballroom and, you know, gender constructs um, to a much wider audience and ended up, you know, giving MJ Rodriguez the first Emmy to a trans person in history, which was phenomenal. Um, how do you feel about how gender constructs have been portrayed in pop culture or if there was any like resoundingly great example of such shitty for a long time (laughs) um in a inaccurate not fully rounded characters people stories um and i think that is changing i mean i've when i grew up i knew i saw gender non-conforming people in documentaries that were really sad and like Paris is burning. Um, right. It was a story that kept going over and over again. Like if you were gender nonconforming, the story told me that that person would not make it through life. That person would die. It also conflict. The media also conflated drug addiction and poverty with gender nonconforming identities. And that again is it's, it's a made up thing. It's not, they don't go hand in hand necessarily. Um, and so I think that was portrayed in the media. Um, psychopaths were gender nonconforming. Addicts were gender nonconforming. And so it is only of recent that we're seeing triumphant stories, funny stories, witty stories, loving stories, family stories of folks who are gender nonconforming. And, you know, I need more of them because in my family, we're pretty, 
I just want to see my family with folks who are trans, that are cis, that are straight, that are queer in one family. Right. I would love to see that. And the thing, the interesting thing is that we don't even agree in my own house on this topic. Like some of us are trans and some of us don't understand being trans. Some of us aren't scientifically convinced yet that it's a thing. How do you parent through that? That's an interesting table conversation for Thanksgiving. Well, you know, we do it all the time and I, I, I've taken it even off of, of the big moments of, of Thanksgiving, but I have this. So how do you parent through it? I have this thing called the lab and we just lab out big, scary ideas. So whoever has the microphone gets to say whatever they want for however long. It could be like 30 minutes, your microphone. And then the next person gets to speak their truth. The rules are you just can't like, it's not a, it's not a debate. So you're not trying to prove your point. You're just stating your issues and stating your, your perspective with no goal of agreeing. And so we've done this. Like one kid will say, this was years ago, he would say, um, I love my brother. I think he can do anything in this world that he wants to. But I don't. But scientifically, you're a girl. Now, he says, I'll always use the right pronouns because that's what you want. But scientifically speaking, you are female. And then the, the, my, my other kid would step in and say, look, it's not about science. Like, I've already proven it just being here. I'm trans. It exists. End of story. This is how God has made me. And then the scientists would say, I don't even believe in God either. So like all of this is not making sense. <laughs> and they've been debate, not debating. They've been arguing this point on opposite ends of the conversation for years. They still don't really, they might've inched a little bit closer, but they're basically, you know, my house looks like America. <laughs> once you can put it on the table, once you can decide that it's okay to be a conservative and progressive or a person of faith and an atheist at the same table or on the same basketball court, it's all good. So they've not tried to agree. They've just stated who they are, what they believe in. And then they've gone on to the better things like playing basketball and eating dinner. I love that. You know, recently, as I'm, you know, as we all have our documents in our life that we're constantly on, they want you to fill your life out into like these little boxes. And I'm just like, I don't want to. Like, I don't even know anymore because it all seems like like sports teams. You know, what I mean, you're either all the way over here or you're all the way over there. And then you can't be friends with the person over there or even agree with them on anything. And you have to kind of isolate them, ostracize them. And it's just, you know, seeing what you're hearing, your your story and, and the the mix that you have in your home. I mean, that's that's total goals. Of just being like, hey, we're we're all different and we can all coexist and come together and love each other and be together. And then we can have our moments where we disagree and then we come together okay. again. I think that's a great, a great point, too, in terms of like, you know, we live in a very adversarial society these days. Right. I think that's a really cool principle to put a moratorium on debate. Like while we all want to be able to debate our point, that really just creates space to listen and really like absorb what someone's point of view is. And so you can come at the conversation from a much more educated position, which is kind of, I think, in essence, what we're trying to do here is just listening and learning. But that said, I'm, I'm curious, too, if you because you're such, you know, you are an outspoken advocate. Do you get obviously you can't moderate every conversation in that way. Do you get a lot of online hate for for your position? Sure. So there was a time when I was I was listening. To, I would read all of the comments, thousands of them. 
you know, one at a time and respond to almost all of them. And my friends were like, you're just torturing yourself. And for me, it was less torture than research. I was trying to find where the gaps are. Mm -hmm. And I figured that out. For the most part, it's faith, economics, education, race. Those are where the divides seem to fall and the confusion and the lack of information. And once I understood that, it was easier to proceed with like raising my kids and moving through life and then kind of knowing how to possibly shift the dial a little bit, like, you know, but I still get, um, hate, hate, you know, DMS and what, how do you deal with them now? I, you know, my kids are older. And so when I start to see things coming in on Instagram, I just block that person or shut off the comments. I've only done that a couple of times, but sometimes I'll delete the comment and then block that person because no one has time now. Like our, we're so inundated with pressure and hate and death that I don't even want to, my boundaries are much wider now, much wider. I just, I'm, I rarely stay in the neighborhoods of anger and hate um, and division. And I'm always in the solution finding the collaborative neighborhoods. And that's why I work with HRC. That's why I stick around young people all the time, because that's to me the neighborhood of change. And a lot of these um, a lot of these negative people online, they don't even believe what they're saying. They just want to say it to, to get a rise out of you. I mean, there is, it is a really ugly, toxic culture that is, that is online trolling. And again, you think about like for out of all the things that you have to do with your day, you've decided to enter one person's account to harass them. You probably get it too. Oh my God. I get it so much. I've turned off my comments. I've, I've turned off my comments because, you know, I, it was exactly what, what you're saying is that I have so much energy at me all the time. And um, my and I, I need to be a good mom. And having Jeannie four, five, six, seven, eight, nine tell me that she thinks that I have a boob job and pretend to breastfeed or I wear a fake pregnancy belly. Like Jeannie four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, I really, really don't need your energy coming in at me. The hard thing with that is it blocks out the 99% of normal human beings who want to come and just interact with me. So I'm trying to figure that filter out at this point of, you know, I miss my community. I miss my people. And at the same time, I also realized that my priority are to my seven little people that I need to not feel like I want to jump out my, my, my building because I'm so sad with you know, all these random people saying all these things to me. Um, and it is that, that thing, 99% of it is positive. And then you have like that one thing that bothers you. And there's the, the, the things that they're saying are just so ridiculous. You know, like, it's like, I remember one comment that stood out. It was like, oh, yes, I know Jody Patterson. That's that crazy white woman who tortures her children. And I'm like, no, you didn't even bother to look at the picture. I'm not the crazy white woman. I'm actually this black woman. And there's no torturing of kids. Like, it's just, there were such like um, sloppy insults. Yes, it's just to, to tear you down. So one of the things that I actually get, get hate about is, you know, every once in a while I'll do, um, I'll do videos talking about how I parent 
my children, teaching them about LGBTQIA+. Um, and why I think that that's very important, just as I grew up immersed with all sorts of different people and it was never a thing. I want my kids to know that it, it, it's not, it doesn't have to be a thing. I mean, we can learn about all of these different things and it's important, but we don't have to think, oh, that's different or that's weird or that's not normal. These are all normal and okay and part of life. Um, and so I'll talk a little bit about how I, I speak about these, these topics, just like I speak about, you know, heterosexual marriage and relationship. Um, I find that one of the things that people get confused with is they do, they think LGBT and then their brain goes to sex rather than LGBT love identity. I mean, I don't know what kind of lives you guys all have at home, but like sex is a very small fraction of everybody's life. Okay. So like the fact that we're so hung up on sex when like, again, I hope that your life is this, but like what percentage of your life are you actually having sex? You know what I mean? And, um, and so the, the conversation, especially with my small children around this topic has zero to do with sex, nothing. And so talk to us a little bit because you have even, you know, more experience. Um, talk to us a little bit how you would recommend parents talk to their children about this. It's it's daunting because I think you're right. We've sexualized and demonized the LGBT community. And so, you know, who wants to bring that to the dinner table, right? Or the breakfast table with our kids. But in reality, we're cousins and mothers and uncles. Um, and so there's a very family loving conversation you can have. I when I was first trying to figure this all out, I would just share my experiences as a mom raising a trans kid with my other moms over lunch at the office, like anywhere I was where there was a conversation about anything, I would say, here's what I'm going through. Like my kid, you know, is doing X, Y, and Z. And I would just tell the stories of what was happening in my house. I think that there are enough of us that have written books and you can bring our stories into your family. So I would say, share books with, with, um, your, your kids, um, talk about one person, you know, maybe one family that's trans. A lot of us are sharing our stories, our family stories, not because we want to be just studied, but because we want an example for your kids, right? We want to give you the language. So, you know, my thought is bring books to the dinner table, share families, family stories, if you know of Jody Patterson and her children, talk about us at the dinner table. Um, and then the, the reality is that most kids have many kids, not most, many kids have a trans kid in their classroom or um, somewhere in their world. And so you become closer to your children once you get up enough nerve to talk about these things, because I think it's already out there for them. It's not as big of a secret. Speaking to how we have these conversations with our kids um, and being that, you know, Harry Potter and the series and J.K. Rowling and, you know, the whole turf conversation of trans ex exclusionary radical feminists who believe that there isn't, you know, they're hostile to the inclusion of trans people in the feminist movement. Have you had that conversation with your family? And if so, like, um, how would you say is the best way to go about it? Basically. <laughs> We talk about all of it, not in 
silos, but being connected. So mm-hmm. if we believe that racism needs to be eradicated, we also have to believe that sexism has to be eradicated and transphobia. And so that's a reality in my life. And I try to express that to my kids, that there's not one ism that's more sort of important than the other. Sometimes it's, it's you have moments that the population or community is being hit harder. But if we are activists and I raise my children to be activists, we have to stand up for all of us. And you don't have freedom if some of us are not free. Um, and that's a concept that they know and I've been teaching it to them. Of course, it has to play out in real life in their, in their own lives. Like I have a teenager in, in high school who experienced racism firsthand very clearly for the first time, not theoretically, not out there, but it, him exactly and specifically. And so that, you know, I think it takes time for children to understand how serious this is. But we do talk about this super wicked problem of compounded issues that make for a shit show. (laughs) And then, you know, and I talk about it in also in relationship to capitalism, because so much when you were talking about, you know, packaging people, it's like most of this is to get the dollar. Right. So like if you're this kind of person, you buy here, this kind of person, you shop here. And if you're that kind of person, we're going to direct you over here. It's just a very clear and easy path to making a dollar. And so I talk about racism and sexism and transphobia being attached to capitalism. Not that we want to not live in this world of capitalism, but that we have to just be aware of how we're being marketed for other people's profit, you know, as opposed to like really some of the lies about the trans community are so ridiculous that they're not even about the trans community. It's just about hurting people and separating people so that it's yeah. easier to market money and to make money. That's that's my simplistic version of it, but we do talk about all of this at home and my kids are like, enough, can I just have the lamb chop, please? Right, well, that's fantastic too, like not playing into the algorithm, right? I mean, we're trying to, you know, as much as kids are so absorbed by social media that all of these things are still steering you into one category where you'll inevitably spend and just breaking it down like that is makes it, all the boundaries even more absurd. And, you know, just one more point to that. Like, I, I'm not trans. I'm a mom raising a, a trans kid and a cisgender kid and a queer kid. But if my kid is trans, I can't be so far away from that. I cannot be so far off of that as his mom and as a human. We're, we're, we're very close to one another. And so I don't, I refuse to see the difference, this grave difference between my son and myself. And so I have really just rejected that idea that he's different from me. I think the world treats him differently, but I don't see this as like a trans issue over there. I, I see us, and this is going to be hard. I see it's a, we are trans, we are gay, we are queer. Like we've got to embrace it as we, because if it's not you, it's your kid. If it's not your kid, it's your aunt. If it's not your aunt, it's your friend's kid. And so this is a really a we issue. And I, and I bring that to the table with my kids. Like, you're not going to avoid this. You cannot avoid this conversation. It's a human issue. Absolutely. (laughs) 
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table, because geek culture is pop culture, and we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We do something here um, called "What are What are we coveting in the coven?" And um, it's like this: the, it's it's a silly, fun part of it where it could be, you know, something that you're that you're liking that you're doing. It could be a a product that you're using, you know. I mean, like I love this cup. I constantly come with it. You know, it could be the the cup. I don't. I anything that you want to sort of share with us. Okay, so I have I'm 52 and I'm going through full on menopause. Um, and I've declared it like, I don't like when people are like, oh, you're menopausal. That's why you're grumpy. But I have, I'm acknowledging that I'm menopausal and I've been working with my friend, Naomi Watts, and she has a really great brand, um, called stripes. I am stripes and it's product from badge to scalp and it's community and it's, um, research so that we can find out more about this important phase in life that affects half the population. I'm a better mom when I understand what's going on in my body. Um, I'm a better lover, a better friend when I have 
you know, agency over my own self. And so I encourage anyone who's going through menopause to tap, tap into um, stripes, but also any kid who's trying to figure out what their mom is going through or any kid who's trying to figure out what this person in my life who may be menopausal is going through, log on because I tell my kids now, um, don't talk to me. I'm going through a hot flash. I just need five minutes. I love that because I'm, I forget, Michelle, you and I were talking about, it. I'm like, I have no idea about the next phase in my life. I mean, I'm making, I said like the, the, the biggest joke is I'm ha- not having any more children. And every single time I swear, no more kids. So right now, as my baby's two months old today, I am not having any more kids. But then I'm thinking the next phase in my life is menopause. And I know zero about it. Zero. zero out of this well. And like, there's so much more information happening now, more conversation and more research. So hopefully like, you know, in five years, we'll just know more. But it was the big mystery for me too. And so that's the thing I've been gravitating towards, understanding the second half of life, which mm-hmm. is a biological phase. You can't avoid it. Um, and looking at it as opportunity as opposed to like, fucking you know, nail in the coffin. <laughs> yeah, no, I've heard that. Right, there's yeah, that grow. yeah, absolutely. All right. Mine, mine yeah. today, I'm cheating today, guys, because you're not supposed to have connections to it too much. Um, I, you know what? Yeah, we're all cheating. You know what? But we get to make our own rules because we're witches. Um, I, mine is um, actually these, these earrings that you guys constantly see me wear. They're like these little hoops. <laughs> and, um, and you guys write to me about them all the time. And they're actually Michelle's brand of her, her jewelry brand, her hoops. And I love them for, for many reasons. So the gold hoops for you guys who are like not seeing me because this is radio and I've still, you know, from some they're, they're pretty gold too. They're, they're, yes, they're they're, yes. And they're very light. And the other thing I like from having small kids is that they open easily. So then undoubtedly when one of my kids pulls it, it never hurts. It just pulls right off. But I also haven't lost them too. So I don't know what kind of like magical powers you put in these hoops, Michelle. But those, that's my favorite thing. Like I can't indulge my witch secrets. It's, <laughs> it's witch energy. But I'm wearing a pair too, even though, again, this is an audio show. But hoops are the best. I'm going to send best. you some hoops, Jody. But mine is, um, because Jody, I also know you have like career in skin, in, you know, beauty and skincare and you've done everything. Um, I am, I am doing the mask. I've got the LED mask today. Oh, wow. The Dr. (gasps) Gross red light, because I just got a peel last week. And so I was filtered as hell when we were recording the show looking like a snake. And I've been wearing this thing, blue light therapy, combats wrinkles, bacteria, all the things. This one's Dr. Dennis Gross. And I like it because it makes me look like Darth Vader and scares all my house guests and my dog. So, um, you know, Devil's like yeah, <laughs> I right, will. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. All right, ladies. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, share it with your friends. We love having all of you guys coming and joining our coven. We're really having so much fun with this project. Thank you, ladies. Find us on Instagram at which is a non pod and anywhere you get your podcasts. And we will see you next week. Hello, Clay 
am comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes... Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.